listening to the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast with your hosts, Corey Draper and Jeff Hughes. What a bastard! Didn't know what happened to him there. My word, Anderson can't believe that he's beside himself with anger. And Tully Blanchard is beside himself almost unconscious. Good down-home cheating. Good down-home good down cheating. Sure. Since I was a child, people said my family was cursed. Mom tried to protect us with God. Pop tried to protect us with wrestling. He said if we were the toughest, the strongest, nothing had ever hurt us. I believed him. We all did. Welcome to a special movie review edition of the Legendary Wrestling Obsession podcast. I'm Corey Draper here with Jeff Hughes. That's right. And you know that our success has gone to our heads because we've branched out into the movie business. <laughs> Everybody's doing it. <laughs> That's right. We're big shots in the podcasting business. Not at all. <laughs> no, we're not. But actually, I will say this, that uh, we've got uh, three shows now. Well, yeah, I've teased, three, but three of the highest ones were, and two of them were, you know, recently. So that's good, you know. Thing, and it made us feel real good. So it was wonderful to know that people are listening, and that we're doing a show. And thank you, everybody, for listening. So, <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's up ticking. Yeah, I tease because I watch the OSW review guys, and then I see that they review movies and other things, and they started their OSW old school wrestling. Yeah, and then they're re- reviewing, you know, any The Hobbit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, and uh, you know, the Laps fan has uh, under the cinemat. That's their separate stream going of like exactly a, a second podcast of the week. That's they spin it where they try they have to have a wrestling connection to the movie, but it can be as flimsy as like the stuntman is was was a wrestler. You know. Like. So of course I am really kidding. We actually pay to do this because we love to do it, and we wouldn't probably be as eager if we didn't think there was an audience. But it does feel like there's an audience. So thank you very much, everybody. Please send us your letters. The most fun we have is reading fan mail. Legendary Wrestling Obsession at gmail.com. There we go. So the best times are hearing about your young days listening to or watching 80s wrestling. And yeah, it's, we're sitting here between when the, or it's after Christmas, but it hasn't been New Year's yet. I don't know when you're going to hear this. By the time you hear this, it'll probably be after New Year's. But that's where we're at right now. So Jeff, did you have uh, at least get a good turkey dinner in? We had a turkey that was stuffed with stuffing, and I thought, oh, it's going to be crap. So I made my own stuffing. Uh-huh. Yeah, I sautéed some mushrooms, sautéed some onions. Yeah. I had these cornbread croutons. My stuffing was not very good. <laughs> the, st- <laughs> the stuffing that was in the bird already was bountiful, okay. so we didn't even get to my stuffing. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I threw it in a bag, and we froze it, and somewhere down the road, I'll put a mushroom gravy on it and like, <laughs> we'll eat it and we'll never know that it was the second <laughs> second place stuffing. Second place stuffing. <laughs> yeah, not so good. And the turkey was like, there wasn't very much turkey. I mean, the leftover turkey, my mom was like, leftover turkey sandwiches? And I was yeah. like, no, no. We, we didn't get that far. Yeah. We had a lot of guests, I suppose. And uh, it was a young turkey, so it wasn't a big turkey. <laughs> I know. We that need the King Kong Bundy turkey. <laughs> yeah, give us the big turkey. Birds too small to feed us all. 
And so, um, but I did make a traditional Irish dish this festive season. I had never cooked with cabbage, and I got a cabbage, got my hands on a cabbage. So I made calcanon. Okay. Which is an Irish mashed potatoes where you fry onions and cabbage before you put a bunch of mashed potatoes together. Okay. And it was a big hit. You tried some, didn't you? Or you oh, were, no. Oh, no, you didn't eat anybody's food at the party. Corey still. <laughs> I just had the stew. Ah. Right. Well, anyway, my uh, cabbage mashed potatoes were a big hit at well, Christmas Actually, maybe party. I did eat that. Yeah, no, wait a minute. I put that was the base of my stew. Yeah. Yeah, the mashed potatoes. That's right. Well, it's called Calcanon. Oh. Calcanon. And uh, it's a traditional Irish dish. Well, there we go. I didn't eat you. You suckered me. If I'd known the ingredients, I probably would have chickened out. <laughs> That's right, because you don't like onions. That's yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be my wrestling name, Cal Cannon. There you go. <laughs> um, and my big finisher will be the mashed potato. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, you know, and it'll be really stiff, right? Potato. Pow. <laughs> so, okay. what about you? Yeah, I we didn't have a turkey. We did. Uh, oh yeah, ch- and ch- ch- <laughs> Corey's kid clobbered me at the oh, party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cole, oh my yeah, god, we were at a we were at a potluck the day before, the day before Christmas Eve, so the twenty third. Yeah, Cole was eating a, a yogurt, and yeah. he likes to eat it like yogurt an ice cream cup. cones cone sometimes. And I was going to get him a spoon, and I told him, "You wait," like because I didn't want to make it a mess in somebody else's dining room. And again, he's only four. And so Jeff is sitting there and I'm out of the room for like eight seconds or something. And I come back in and I've already missed two attacks. <laughs> so apparently Jeff had, you know, kind of reminded Cole what I just said, which was like, hold on, wait for the spoon. Don't go. I, I, I had the, you know, temerity to say, slow down. Yeah. Dad's getting you a spoon. <laughs> so my my cute, innocent little kid turned into like a, like a little bit of a Tasmanian devil this night. <laughs> so he decided that he didn't like that. And he gave Jeff a little a little tap on the forearm and I think a, I think a little swat on the shoulder. Yeah. And that's when I walked in the room and I, I hadn't I didn't even see that. What I saw was the little, the little tiny slap to the face. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's, Corey was coming in. I mean, because I didn't see anything like for the first one and the second one, I'm like, still like these are, you know, and uh, uh, of course, I would say something to the face because I'm like, oh no, you know, this yeah, is yeah, a you, that. teachable <laughs> moment, right? Like, you can't can't do that, you know, to people. But like, it, Corey just happened to walk into the room as he was delivering, you know, one <laughs> the knock the, out blow. Yeah. So you know, Corey was like, Cole, Cole, what are you doing? And he took the yogurt away, and and Cole's like reaching for the yogurt. He's like, nope, nope, no yogurt. To you, apologize. And Cole wants that yogurt. He's going for the yogurt. And then and like and Corey's like, nope, no yogurt. <laughs> Until you say you're sorry, you can't do that. You know, you know the things you got to say. Yeah. So finally, Cole very sweetly turns around, puts his hand on my arm, and says, "I apologize." <laughs> and Corey gave him back his yogurt. But I said to Corey, "I wish that on when he clipped me on the jaw, I wish I'd done a flare flop." That's right. <laughs> and just hit the ground. Boom! The whole party would like, "What the fuck?" Two hundred pounds just take, hits take the ground. A big bump. Yeah, exactly. Uh, apparently, Greg Valentine says that he did the flop before flare. And the figure four. a long time, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Greg does a lot of interviews. Well, Buddy uh, Rogers did the figure four. That's why I always thought Flair did the figure four. Right. Well, the flop, well, you know, but... Um, but the flop, yeah. The that, flop. There's a few guys that did the flop, I think, but Greg Valentine for sure is one of them, and he does it great. Valentine does an awesome yeah. flop. Yeah, his big timber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so those those are all holidays. Did uh, I didn't cut you off from any stories? Well, I just did I? my food was I didn't get to have a turkey, so I had chicken and kleezels. And kleezels is sort of like potato dumpling, I guess was maybe the way to describe it. I don't think that's quite exactly what it is, but it's a but it's a very tasty dish, and it's 
overly Kleasels? rich cream. Kleasels? Kleasels, yeah. Kleasels. Yeah. And what part of the world does that come from? Ooh, that's a good question. A European dish? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I don't pretend to know where that came from, and I don't think it's... So. Oh, and one more thing. Candace's mom, she's into me. Oh, he's <laughs> now. <laughs> 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 <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on it's innocent yeah so yes. we the buddies we took a picture and she just made an, a compliment Very compl- yeah nice yeah. nice compliment of jeff my pick the picture was open on the, my phone and yeah she thought jeff is a nice looking man <laughs> yeah that's plenty clean give me a break we're not even like a fan you know we're a family show so that's, that's right. fine <laughs> that's right we just went to see a movie as Corey said about Wrestling in the 1980s. That's right. And then had an awkward car ride home because we didn't want to talk about the movie until we were recording. So we were like, we have nothing to say. (laughs) Ice board. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Long, cold, silent ride home. (laughs) Um, So anyway, uh, I'll just say that uh, I think it was great. I'll start with that. I think it was brilliant. It's heartbreaking, but uh, a, a fabulous piece of art, absolutely worth seeing. And this will appeal, I think, to a broad swath of people. You don't have to be a professional wrestling fan to get into that. But it is like, I mean, Shakespearean levels of tragedy. Yeah, it's, it's it, the material itself is obviously lends itself to Hollywood. And because like who could even imagine such a story? And as a lot of people will know, the directors made, you know, what you would consider a difficult decision to leave one of the family members out. So the youngest brother, Chris Von Erich, is not featured in the film. He doesn't not, you know, he's not a character. It's not part of the storyline. There was fear that his, it's a, it's such a repetition, unfortunately, a repeat of what else had happened in his family. And so it, I think. Maybe more than the viewer could bear because it was difficult. It's not easy to watch this awful, these awful events that unfold. Are, are are difficult to watch, uh, but they did happen, and it is, of course, a story of survival because Kevin wins in the end in a way that he because he's got this beautiful family and it's fascinating like so I guess you know I did have some questions and I never really realized this movie gives you the impression that Kevin was passed over in part. Because his father maybe didn't give him the support that, you know, he should have as, you know, his, his dad. I mean, they're in the trailer. You've got all these moments that are pretty shocking for a modern parent. Certainly, I was raised in a like, mom, which, which, do, who do you love more, me or my dumb brother? <laughs> <laughs> so horror to the uh, parent who says, you know, I love your other brother. Or, you know, like it's just not, yeah. the, the correct answer is. Yeah, what the hell do I know? I love you equally. I'm yeah. thinking that's what you would say. Yeah. Corey's only got one, so he doesn't have that problem yet. That's right. <laughs> I don't have any, and I don't have that problem. But I do remember my mom would never say that she loved one of us more than the other. And I think that's the correct answer. So the dad's like, here's my pecking order. And he lists them off. <laughs> and then and he like, gives a cheap like caveat at the end of it. It always can change. <laughs> yeah. And so the movie is told from the perspective, of course, of Kevin, who I, I find out is the oldest. And in this movie, they make it sound like he just didn't have enough of the stuff to make it to the top and that his dad made him feel like he was a disappointment or a letdown. And there was an interesting blend because Kevin didn't get the world title and wasn't actually, it would seem as n- the other guys jumped 
And at one point they had the scene where Kevin talks about, I mean, like I, Kevin comes across really well in this film mm-hmm. and he, Fritz, not so much, you know, I no, think it's that- hard, it's uh, hard for him to come across well. Yeah. And we haven't really done a movie review before per se. So, you know, maybe we'll try to uh, get a little chronology into this film. So, you know, we- uh, Carrie gets a late introduction. That was really strange, I thought. I was kind of confused why there was such a long part of the movie that he wasn't in. Right. So let me just give you, a, uh, you know, to to paint that out, folks. There's a lot of the film that shows us the journey that Kevin went on and that b- because of factors not quite his fault, he wasn't going to get the belt and his dad was like, already moving on, you know, like next brother, you know, because they basically, they show that David had more skill on the mic is what they suggest in the movie. And who am I to, uh, I didn't get that perception from my brief viewing of WCCW. I thought that, you know, Kevin would be, I don't understand this, but I'm also a bit perplexed because before Carrie comes along, well, I, again, I, I I could be possibly getting the order wrong, but it's not long before you know Kevin already feels passed over, and there's a degree, yeah, yeah, and there's this blend also of like they address the fact that wrestling is predetermined, but then they also make it look like Kevin could have done better. And like, I always thought like, it's not really in the hands of the performers. It's, you know, Kevin was somehow, he gets suplexed outside the ring by Harley race with no foam pads, nothing to protect him. And in this movie, he said like, I just never been hurt before like that. And so Fritz is saying, you know, his dad's like, well, that's because they did that on purpose to see if you could take it. And you failed. And you, you, you barely got back in there, but you know, you didn't do a good enough job and they don't, you know, so it's odd because it makes you, makes you think that Harley, uh, was either on his own or under instructions, you know, like put him to the test, see what he does, but give him something he's not expecting, you know? And so that part leaves me wondering why Kevin Von Erich was not seen as the, uh, first Von Eric to take the belt because I can't see why he shouldn't have been, you know, I, anyway, but the movie makes it seem like that's the case. Well, yeah. So I, I think an important distinction is that the movie's like wrestling's like a backdrop in the movie in a way, like it's a convention to tell this, this family story, this really sad tale. Of course, wrestling's a really important part of it, but it's not like they tried to use the structure of like their careers to really to carry things through. So one thing is like we have to realize as we're watching is it all feels very compressed because in reality the three brothers were wrestling together for a few years before the tragedy stuck for we're in the movie. It feels like David just debuted and he's yeah, immediately we, being handed the top yeah. notch and then he's then he's taken away. You know? We get exactly one rush song. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so the definition of rushed because like the you know um Mike in the movie is showing his musical and he's playing I believe it's called Tom Sawyer. Yeah. You know, modern day warrior and yeah, and that yeah. uh, Carrie Von Eriks. So that part was really cool. Like yeah. and that's where they showed all this kind of like in ring action where they yeah. had these, you know, pretty cool body double types for the free birds and yeah. but I will say to Corey's point, this is not a movie that gives you it's not like Rocky where a lot of your thrills are gonna be when Rocky either wins the belt or, or yeah. defends it. Like they it's definitely a drama. That's right. And so that's well put. Wrestling is more of a backdrop. Yeah. And so some of the things, like the way he's kind of carried over, like we have to remember, and we've only seen a fraction of it, but there was several moments where each of the brothers were given 
matches and returns against Harley Race and Ric Flair and this and that for many years where they were each time kind of propped up, you know, so I was maybe not as aware of how, if, if that's how Kevin felt, you know, that he was passed over. It's certainly in the movie is like, it's a huge part of the movie. I mean, they they really go, go to the way to show it to you. Part of his struggle and journey is like, oh, I'm going to like not live up to my father's expectations, but he has a father with tyrannical expectations that exact an incredible price. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So let's back things up a tiny bit. There's two pretty well-known documentaries on world-class out there. One was a WWE production. Another one was independently made. And uh, sort of like heroes of world class and, you know, triumph and tragedy of world class, you know, championship wrestling. Had you ever seen either of those documentaries? Yes, I did. Okay, yeah. So, I, you know, those give us a pretty good idea. There was there was moments in the movie where I felt they were playing tribute to things they knew about, almost like the staircase up to the office. There was almost like a, a visual sort of deja vu moment of like something I'd heard someone talk about, and that was like the visual representation of it. So there were certainly moments that they like pulled from like, you know, throwing out Sam Muchnick's name or doing this or doing that. But they also at other times took liberties with, you know, what would be pretty easy information to put in there. And I felt that if I was someone coming in, not and not to say that I'm some big historian of world-class championship wrestling, I'm not. I know what I know, and I know a lot about it, but compared, you know, compared to like a, a Dallas fan, they're going to wipe the floor with me on this stuff. But let's just take the person, like the average movie, movie viewer, who somehow ends up at this movie who maybe isn't a wrestling fan or isn't a fan of that information. And so basically, like, I think the movie's presented a bit strange. Carrie's moment in the movie with the Parade of Champions and becoming champion and them hinting or showing without any other interruptions that they were going straight to the motorcycle accident, which were, and I can't believe they didn't put it in the movie because it's such a, you know, it's insane to think. Carrie's motorcycle accident, he runs into the back of a parked police car. Like that's, you know, that's how he injures himself. Wow. And, you know, like, again, you can't make this stuff up. Like, you couldn't have thought of that as a writer. <laughs> like, you know, so I'm surprised they didn't use that. I found that, okay, let's think of the construction of a movie like Goodfellas or Boogie Nights. They sort of have these, like, flows to them where there's an up, up, up feel. And you're going to get to a point in the movie where, like, oh, troubled times are ahead. Like, when we hit that New Year's Eve and Boogie Nights, everything starts going down. And, and Goodfellas, it's like, as soon as, you know, Joe Pesci's character walks into the wrong garage you know, with the wrong guys, you know, everything in that movie sort of becomes, the you know, the... The sad side of it, the downside of it, the, you know, the negative. And that's, you kind of obviously don't know that's coming when you're in this movie. So you're on this ride. The first, you know, you don't know, you don't know how long it's going to last. Is it going to be 15 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour? We don't know. Well, you're <laughs> like when they hit that one song by Rush, you know, like play yeah. the extended version because everybody's happy. Everybody's alive. Yeah, yeah. They're looking great. Top of the world. That's right. Yeah. And so I did feel that pacing-wise, one thing this movie could have used was they needed a couple of bridging scenes. I felt they were a little too quick to go like, pow, 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 and just like check the list off of like every bad thing that happened and skipped over a lot of other things. And I think it could have like, it could have helped just with the way the movie flowed because it does, you, you sort of get into this chamber of horrors sort of feeling of like every scene coming up is going to be one more really, you know, negative part and you know it's coming and it has to come and it has to be presented that way but i just thought they kind of rushed it in the middle there there was a part or you know three quarters way through the movie whenever that was where it just felt like they kind of rushed through some things without letting us actually feel them you know like uh yeah well certainly could have been i did have one couple so you know as far as the whole structure of the movie and the pacing and that kind of stuff i had hadn't really thought about that particular i had heard from this wrestler that I know, his name, he went by Agent Orange, and he had told me that, unfortunately, David's death was suicide. 
as well. There's been a lot of different, you know, in the Dark Side of the Ring did the episode. So, you know, there's been a lot of different, you know, speculation about all the different things that could have been involved, you know, in him, in him dying. And it's, you know, again, that's an unfortunate situation where if like, you know, maybe if he was staying in the room with somebody else, if somebody was there with him, you know. Right. Well, yeah. And so, but, so this was from, this wasn't me on the internet or, you yeah. know, even TV. This was a guy that, you know, I knew yeah. in 19... 19- 85 who would uh you know and like so it would seem that unfortunately it's even technically it's darker than even the film has because there's chris who was he did also kill himself and possibly david might have killed himself and so you have a very difficult set of circumstances to deal with but how do you rescue such a sad storyline and make it something that people can enjoy? Well, it looks at one point I thought to myself, geez, I don't know if Kevin uh, Von Erich lost his wife and had to remarry and right, you yeah. know, that went away and, and it, it all fell apart and she had to suffer too. And so and I'm glad that at least we had that to enjoy. And we also could see that Kevin Von Erich was going to be a different kind of father. They made that very clear. There's a touching scene. Once Kevin has, you know, come home, which, which are the, those are the stakes at one point because all the brothers are gone now. It looks like Kevin's going to lose his family as well because he's so yeah. damaged by, and his dad's still a dick, you know, <laughs> the survival part doesn't just mean he is still alive. He, he, you know, he gets to be the, the loving patriarch of, of kids and grandkids. And, you know, it's as heartbreaking as, as it is, it could have been worse. Kevin could have died as well. Instead That's of right, having, yeah. you know, there's this beautiful picture where there are 35 people that, you know, all came, you know, from, I, I don't know if it's, uh, the if he's the, the granddad and uh, to, but anyway, it's just, it's obviously the big family could be cousins or, but anyway, the point yeah, he, I mean, they made it sound like everyone came to live with them. So like the four kids and all their families. So technically, yeah, he should be the granddad of like basically all those grandkids. And there's one kid who's about 35 feet in the yeah, air. It's an amazing photo. <laughs> wow. It looks Photoshopped. Cause like, yeah, there's a family photo, but you've got about 40% of the picture is sky. Because this dad has chucked this little like two year old or one year old or not one year old like a two year old up into the air and the kid looks so happy but he looks like he's like twenty five thirty feet in the air like <laughs> yeah it was pretty funny so that is the happy ending of the Iron Claw because I'm glad that he is still kicking and long live Kevin Von Erich I am sure I'm sorry that all those bad things happened to his family and watching the movie. I, I definitely, you know, had emotional reactions to, uh, you know, all that stuff. I thought the, the actors all did a good job. It's they, there was dialogue from champions, but not the Freebirds. I thought, you know, I was, I thought maybe the Freebirds might get some kind of, but you know, that, that all, all that heat, all that excitement, kind of the peak of world class, you know, got a little bit pushed to the background. Yeah. And it was, it was over with pretty quickly. Yeah. I definitely think that when you look at, I mean, things like, for example, I don't know how well they did a job of telling the sort of like how they kind of peaked and went down. Again, if you're not a, wrestling fan and don't know this information on your own the movie wasn't presenting it to you and since they went out of their way to sort of film a bit of a stadium shot of Kerry going out you could have like filmed a couple more scenes of like those like the dwindling returns right the one the next year is a lot smaller but it's still an impressive audience and then the one the couple years after that are just like this it's insane to be holding this in this venue because there's so few people like right and uh, the the film also makes it look like Kevin didn't really have a fair shot at running the business. I mean, he was more the victim of 
the WWF's expansion and his dad had also not been particularly honest, it seemed, with the payouts and just Kevin found some shenanigans as he went through the books and a lot of blame. Boy, Fritz von Erich sure comes across as a heel. I mean, you had to wonder way before this film ever came out. It, it seemed like, what's the common denominator to all the tragedy in this family? And like, could it be a father who steered his family the wrong way? And the movie doesn't go very easy on Fritz. Yeah. When the Laps fan did their several episode journey through world class, there, there was a point where it's reported like Fritz sort of had an option early on in that career to like buy this like bait and tackle shop and like move the family to this, you know, other location. And everyone, you know, it's just like, oh, Fritz, do it, do it, you know, like sign the paperwork, you know, get get everybody out of that life. And then like maybe, maybe something d- different happens to them and stuff like that. But of course, 2020 hindsight, like easy to say that the years afterwards. But I think the thing you're missing when you don't add Chris in is that Mike was like the reluctant wrestler who like didn't really want that life. Whereas Chris really wanted that life, but then physically he wasn't really, you know, meant to be doing it and that's what they like they were like they were like different but the same you know like the two the, the two younger brothers on a lighter note when they were introducing harley race they had this intimidating kind of music that they were playing you yeah. know they were trying to like make him seem scary and i think they had a missed opportunity i think they missed the opportunity there to blend some of harley race's legend into you know the the real life danger that somebody faces right. if they mess with Harley Race. That's right. Yeah. Who you know would uh, carry a pistol, you know, <laughs> or he would threaten people. And uh, well, the one story I heard was that he smashed a bottle, a glass bottle, a ketchup, a ketchup against across somebody's head who was hassling oh, them at a restaurant, and then threatened them with a broken bottle, you know, to basically slice the guy up right but the guy was you know probably bloodied and ketchuped and i mean imagine cutting that promo right with and in the background he keeps talking but you just go to a, a scene where harley's leaving a restaurant and gets picked on by some yokel and harley turns around smashes him with the glass bottle <laughs> yeah. and, th- and like threatens to put his eye out then you'd be like what because that apparently really happened yeah, you know yeah, what i mean yeah. or, or whatever you just, but like he's yep. all he's, so you could obviously make it and then then he pulls a gun, right? And so, like, then when 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 our hero gets into the ring with Harley Race, you're like, well, who the fuck is he? Is he is this guy? You know, smashing up cowboys and yeah. pulling pistols. They could have made Harley Race look like a real scary, honest villain. Not that anybody really ever said he was a villain or heel. He just in this world, uh, Harley Race had to protect himself with a firearm and occasionally with yeah. a ketchup bottle. And uh, there were other stories of like like cactus. Jack said that he took an injury on the barricade outside the ring. And so some doctor is saying uh, like, oh, well, Jack, you know, that doesn't, we only have insurance for the performers who get injured inside the ring. And, and Harley apparently said he took the bump in the ring. And and the doctor says, uh, hey, Harley, uh, come on. I saw it. It was a barricade and Harley like <clears throat> shifted in his chair, looked at the doctor. And he said, I said he took the bump in the ring. And the doctor's like, OK, Jack, so just fill out this paperwork here and we'll take care of all of your medical bills and uh, you'll be good. And so, you know, uh, Jack had Cactus Jack, Mick Foley had praise for Harley. That's and right, yeah. and th- there weren't people there. I haven't seen a lot of stuff of, uh, oh, I hated Harley Race. I, I don't see that stuff. People were maybe yeah, no, no, no. scared of him. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't look 
physically scary like you know like a Brock Lesnar. No. But now you've just heard that uh, he was not a man. He he could be a very dangerous man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And if Fritz was like, maybe Fritz rubbed him the wrong way, you know. And so in the like like I said in this movie that looks like like Harley says, "Let's go for a ride, kid," and throws him outside, suplexes him outside, and this is what. Kevin wasn't expecting hurt him badly and maybe disrupted his order or, you know, his shot at, or, or because it makes it look like David was going to have the belt, if not for his untimely death. Yeah. And Kerry I, I, does get the belt. I guess I feel like the story they didn't really tell is that sort of the, the gig was up. Like they didn't really get into the whole idea that they, when they, when they pulled out of the NWA, like that's something that I thought should have been a part of it. I think like a few different things. I think the super clash thing with Jerry Lawler should have been somehow, even if it was just one of those montages, like it should have, you know, something like that should have been in there, but pulling it at the NWA because they weren't going to get the belt anymore, because it, I think it got to a point where as you've lost your Von Eriks, it's like, okay, well now instead of rotating through a larger cast, it's down to one or two. And how many times can people keep coming back to see, them not win the belt against Flair or whoever else it is. And that's why they end up having to like create their own and, and really how the, you know, unfortunately the business didn't go well for them for the most part. They didn't get the houses. They didn't get that money, but thinking maybe think something was going to positively happen for them with super clash three with like the adventure with the AWA and all that now, stuff. Now, Carrie and Jerry. Yeah. Uh, had some AWA matches and like that's right yeah and and just to go through that for our fans because like this is you know these are headliners I remember looking at that and being <laughs> like hey maybe these guys could get some yeah get, so you know, you it, know it, years after USA uh, Pro Wrestling USA kind of comes to a close so eighty four to eighty six let's call it beginning very beginning of eighty six it it falls apart Jim Crockett sort of emerges as like the second number two to WWF. And these other territories are falling off and but or still continuing, but on a downward trend. EWA and World Class Championship Wrestling sort of, again, you know, sort of last desperate. I think it might be 88. Um, pardon me if I, if I got the wrong year there. But the EWA at that point, I think, still hadn't run a pay-per-view. So, they, you know, this was their attempt to run a pay-per-view. So they'd already had two Super Clash cards, but those were like non-pay-per-view uh, events as far as I can remember. And Super Clash 3 was this idea that Jerry Lawler had captured the AWA heavyweight t title from Kurt Henning. And he was basically this, he was sort of trying to make that claim that, no, no, Jim, you know, NWA, they only wrestle in Jim Crockett. WWF, they only wrestle, you know, in WWF. We're the true, we're the actual, like, we wrestle all over the world because they had some matches in Japan or something, you know? So it's like, it's using the age old, like, I'm the true world champion because I really take on everybody. Look at us, we're fighting Texas and they're fighting us. And so, yeah, they had this, they, they, they had a match. There was two matches, one in Memphis, one in, Ta one in Dallas. And then they had this pay-per-view and it was sort of a botched finish. And it was all, it was, this was sort of the end of it because in a way this match, you know, at Super Clash was run by Vern. And apparently nobody got paid out, including Jerry Lawler. <laughs> so he wouldn't show up to any more dates or at some point he stopped showing up for his AWA dates and basically wouldn't come back. And they had to like strip him of the title and basically bring Nick Bockwinkle off the bench to <laughs> become the world champion again mm. because they just, you know, they, they couldn't, uh, or maybe that was when they went, I think actually after that when they did the tournament, right. they did so, Battle Royal. So Kerry wrestled for the AWA world heavyweight title belt but he didn't yeah. get it they were trying to unify them that was the whole idea of that match with super clash three was like the world the you know world class championship wrestling or maybe whatever the title was at that point because their names do, do change in the late 80s early 90s with the u.s like when Jarrett comes in that's another transition but um yeah there's like the texas champion versus the awa world champion we're going to create this you know new mega super champion but the match all ends in like throwing out because stop for blood so they end it's a non it's a non title finish 
Mm. So, like, you know, the, nobody beats... Kerry doesn't win the AWA title, but therefore Jerry also doesn't win the Texas title. So it, it, it's sort of, the, you know, they don't oh, they don't pay it off. Right, anticlimactic. And, and, and they didn't get a good... They didn't get a good return. Like, they didn't do good business. And this is the, this was the saddest part of all. Because of the stupid way the satellite world worked or whatever in that day, they couldn't get it clearance or whatever. I think either in, like, if not in all of Texas, at least in, like, Dallas and some other places. Like, the people that care about this match, they can't get it on pay-per-view. Oh, Lord. McMahon. Like, like how, how do you expect to make any money when you're, like, your home base can't even buy it? Oh, yeah. Tragic. Well. I'm surprised they didn't include, because uh, Kevin spoke about it on the documentaries going back to his relationship with Fritz and really how crazy things got at the end and some of the really nasty things he said to him because his dad did start you know, sort of battling dementia and stuff at the end and it just got really nasty, sort of blaming him for things. And I think he said something in the range of like, why haven't you, why you, why are you the only one left? Almost like insinuating like you should be dead too. And apparently he pulled a gun on Kevin. Jesus Christ. So I'm surprised I, that might've been maybe Kevin's family, Kevin and his family sort of not wanting to, go that far into it because he kind of feels like that wasn't even his dad at that point. Like he wasn't even, he was too far gone to, to know what he was doing. That's some grim stuff. Yep. Well, Kerry apparently was a uh, Olympic world-class discus thrower. Uh, yeah, definitely. He was, you know, he, he was doing really well. And that, that was a nice part of the movie where they stitched in real life events and how that, you know, affected, affected him and took away his opportunity to be a part of an Olympics, hypothetically, assuming that he would have made the team. Well, did you know that you are talking to the River Heights Junior High <laughs> 1986 discus representative to the track and field <laughs> where we went off and I got to skip class because I threw that damn disc further than anybody? At River Heights Junior High. And all those suckers who thought that they could skip class and go to the track and field. I didn't get any coaching, but <laughs> I uh, went and threw a discus at another event. And it's true. I, I actually... I, <laughs> well, in, in my junior high days, there was... Uh, of course, everybody remembers gym class. And one time, they didn't even really tell us so much what was happening I, I, and it was so kind of anticlimactic the coach just said to me one day hey you can or not the, the gym teacher yeah said to me one day oh yeah I remember that that day where we let every kid in the in the school throw a disc and every yeah. every kid did also did a long jump yeah. we, like there was a day where we all got to try track and field sure yeah you know remember the video game where you, you, you uh, yeah. <laughs> in circa the 80s where you, yeah, yeah, you would yeah. like first you would run a marathon and and you'd try hurdles and then you'd do a long yeah, jump. And people would work out those things with like a pen, like using yeah. a pen on your fingers to like that's right. So we had the buttons. We had track and field day at River Heights Junior High when I was there as a student in 84, 5, 6, I guess. And um, so we tried some long jump and we tried discus and shot put. There was shot put that day. Yeah. And I thought that maybe I might be good at shot put, but when all was said and done, it's true. I had thrown the discus further than anybody else. And so I had earned the privilege to represent River Heights at another event. And I went to the other event. And now I'm going to make up a story okay. about how <laughs> I showed up. And you see my manager, he was like, he was like, yeah, baby, you're the greatest, baby. You're going to throw that disc, baby. And, uh, and I did a yoink, poke in the eye. <laughs> and so uh, I got the gold. And I was the Manitoba champion discus thrower with my fabulous... Manager, um, it was very. I, I don't have any memories of the event. Uh, yeah. I just know that, like, I got to go somewhere. Yeah. And the other thing was, like, 
not our gym teacher didn't spend two minutes with me, like <laughs> teaching me how to throw the discus. I yeah, got yeah. the same lesson every other kid got. Yeah, you know, yeah. here you go. You know, spin around and throw it. You know, like I'd never picked up a disc or, <laughs> or a discus yeah. or, or seen it before in my life, and I'm sure neither <laughs> had the other kids and uh you know but uh and same with the shot put with our you know i don't know that we had a sand pit for a proper long jump you know right but we we definitely were going through like some olympic style track and field stuff anyway so uh that is a true story um <clears throat> i could have been a professional discus thrower <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right well you know discus yeah that's uh how we got his special punch that's right, the bolo punch. And the other thing was like, whoa, I thought he only lost a, pa- a part of his foot. Yeah, but- so they skip over this. So basically the lore is is that he has the motorcycle accident. There's major, major damage. They try, they do some stuff to sort of try and save it. He's supposed to be under, you know, bed rest and, and all this other physiotherapy. And apparently he tries to train on it too soon and he injures it so badly that they basically, then they go into the amputation. But as far as I know, his, they, they amputated part of his foot. Like he, in the movie, it's up you know, past his ankle. It's up yeah. into his ca- almost his calf. Yeah. And I don't believe that was the way it was. I think he, you know, right. he's got a prosthetic that fits over what's left of his foot. Yeah. And they didn't have that in this movie. Maybe yeah, because just- you couldn't probably move the way he was still moving. I mean, and did the, the matches that we saw, like against Kurt Henning, if he was already, yeah. you know, missing part of his foot, then it's yep. like you couldn't, you know. So anyway, but boy, that was um, crazy. Yeah, it's he, he definitely. And I also think that they, and maybe for, you know, maybe for the better, they didn't really focus as much on his substance abuse as I thought they would um, because certainly that was seemed to be a big part of his real life story and the actor that they hired, you know, that they, pardon me, that they cast as him, you know, that's, he's got a, you know, a lot of experience, you know, he was on a show called Shameless for 11 years and his character goes through this big journey of becoming, you know, going through all this substance abuse problems and getting out on the other side of it but also struggling and so, you know, I'm used to seeing this actor really, you know, kind of heavily show like the down and out of just like way too much booze and way too much other drugs in the system and all at the same time and can't control himself. And so it was, I was almost expecting more of a seeing that kind of side of his story. I also, I'm pretty sure he was like married and had kids. Like he might not have been the greatest, you know, they kind of made it look in this movie like he was alone. And I don't think that's the case. Maybe at that point he'd like been divorced or something, but I think they kind of skipped over that in the movie that they made it appear like as if he was just a single guy. Well, the actor who played David was in a movie called, the King's Man, and I thought he was really good in The King's Man. Right. Uh, that franchise. Yeah. From, I think the latest one, because there's King's Men, and then there's... Right, I think I saw the first two, or... Yeah. Worst one, for sure, and then I can't remember if it's the second one or not. <laughs> yeah, well, I like them all. This actor who plays David was really good in this movie, and he was great in The King's Man with Ralph Fiennes. So there's, so there's a funny couple of cameos I've looked up. I avoided, like... Uh, reviews and trailers and all that stuff. When I know I'm going to go to a movie, I, I basically, I, you know, I, I don't need to go watch a, a 50% of the movie <laughs> in a three-minute trailer. I just don't do that stuff. But so at one point, I don't know if you picked up on it, but they sort of represented Lance Von Eric, the cousin, just in one scene. Right, and, but I, I, he looked more like Paul Orndorff. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a real-life current wrestler. And because you don't even see his head, they kind of keep the, you know, you kind of only see a torso shots of him, the way the camera is framed. So that was uh, AEW world champion MJF. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Well, we've seen him. He's definitely, yeah. Uh, I got nothing bad to say about him. 
That's right. He's pretty. He's pretty great. And we, of course, and we did. You know, Chavo was in the ring too. Remember at one point, one of the first times they showed in the ring action, you were like, "Who's that?" It was like it was, this, it was supposed to be the Sheik, the original Sheik, and that was Chavo. Okay, the original Sheik. You yeah, Chavo playing the original Sheik. Cool. Yeah, and Gino Hernandez got to be in one of the scenes with the uh, Bruiser Brody. It was Bruiser Brody and Gino Hernandez were a tag team, and that was another part of the movie I thought they left out. Gino Hernandez was such an important part of like sort of the telling of the Von Erich story because it was an, at the same time it was another massive loss. This huge star they had that they lost, you know, an early death. So there's a guy named Ryan Nemeth who I've seen in, in wrestling. I'm, I'm pretty sure he did uh, WWE. And uh, stuff like that, and he was he was Gino Hernandez. So as soon as I saw his name, I recognized that. But yeah, there was uh, I it was, I can understand you don't want to overdo things, but I mean you think about like you know the feud with Bundy, you know that that could have been a great casting just for like one of those montage scenes of some big big guy playing Bundy. Yeah, I would have loved to have had Bundy included. <laughs> it uh, makes you feel pretty bad for Kevin. That's for sure. I mean, obviously with the loss of his brothers, but I didn't ever see him as passed over the way this movie portrays and in the ring what i've seen of the von erics kevin's my favorite so i'm like shocked to see like that they were the he was the last one that they were prepared to give it to of the of the three viable von eric wrestlers because mike was pressured by his dad to wrestle and and chris unfortunately had physical limitations that uh, yeah. were you know beyond his control so of the of the uh three wrestling brothers proper who had you know these the i mean th- that was another part of, of the uh movie where mike hurts himself in the ring which happened to chris yeah and mike hurts himself in the ring and like for this awkward second it, it kind of looks it's like this sort of like oh shit nobody's he was hurt so bad that he wasn't able to tough it out and like just it, w- it was a really awkward moment where it felt like the veil was lifted kayfabe was you know suspended or like and he's kind of like he was making noises of pain that like no wrestler is supposed to make you know like ah, you know it was right a really kind of uh, uncomfortable scene because it made it look like he was in such agony that he wasn't able to even pretend anymore. I mean, like he may as well just screamed out like, it's all fake. It's all fake. I'm so hurt. So bad. Like that's like that. I was just cringing in that scene. Yeah. I guess that's what they wanted or whatever, but it almost like a shock moment where all, you know, they didn't literally do this, but where the crowd's like, you know, what's going on? You know, like, you know, he's, he's really hurt. Like, like, what what does that mean? I I thought they were always really hurt. Like, yeah. What do you know? Like I've never seen this before. Just this kind of really, shocking injury that Mike takes. I mean, even though he just kind of lands awkwardly and, and, and hurts his shoulder, but he hurts it, you know, in a way that suggests the narrative that he shouldn't have been in the ring. He didn't want to be in the ring. His dad made him be in the ring. His body wasn't suited for it. And then he got hurt because maybe he's just, shouldn't have been in there that's what kevin says and yeah. then as alas toxic shock syndrome fucks him up and that's among the most difficult of all the things to bear in the movies to see his, his the the intellectual disability that uh, comes with his toxic shock syndrome it's just gut-wrenching i mean like this yeah. movie is not easy to watch but um yeah, I mean, these things happened and, and the, real, the real press conference is out there so i mean the, the actual like mike at the hospital you know, speaking into a microphone, talking about how he's going to come back. And and as a viewer, you're just like, what do you like? No, 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 don't don't put him on that table. Make him say that. Like that's, that's, it was outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. You makes what can we learn from this? You know, just like one thing I think that they missed out with Fritz's character is that they ran an angle after a lot of this tragedy had already taken place and they did a fake 
Fritz heart attack angle at this sportatorium to try and pop a house. And then, you know, they, you know, they had Fritz at the hospital and they had, I guess, doctors that were friends of theirs that were trying to keep it, you know, but like it was sort of all the goodwill and all the love that, that the fans had always given towards them. It, this one kind of, I think, as far as I can tell, as people have spoken about, it's kind of backfired a bit, you know, like it kind of, people were like, this is in poor taste. <laughs> like, you know. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. That, well, that, that, I agree. That's in terrible taste. You know, the, there's too much legitimate grief that, uh, they, that's a very bad, uh, I think, uh, booking. Wow. I had not heard that. So he, uh, whoo. It's just good that Kevin didn't also die, as we said earlier in the review. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> so, Thank God he's still alive, and um, you know the the movie was was hard to. There was no way I was not going to watch this movie. Of course, I was going to watch it. I'm a you know I'm too big a fan of the Von Erich family, you know, and uh, to to not go and see it and support it. It's perhaps more of a drama than a sports feel good movie. Of course, <laughs> <You> yeah, <know>? <laughs> couldn't couldn't be any other way. Yeah, yeah. But I think that they did do a uh, respectful job, and while it is difficult to watch, you will you will be glad that um, that Kevin made it through and found contentment and happiness with his family. And uh, you know, so I think you should go see the Iron Claws. Would be my recommendation. Yeah. And spoiler alert, if we haven't already said it, <laughs> it'd be too late for that. But if, if you didn't want to know stuff about the movie, but I mean, most people have either have going to have seen it already or the type of people who do like to look at spoilers and reviews and know everything. Some, some people enjoy entertainment that way. They kind of take it in and then go see it and see how it's going to be. It's pretty close to the real story. Yeah, and again, they, there's documentaries out there. The, the The filmmakers didn't go in trying to make a documentary. That was never the objective of this movie. So it's easy to go and pick apart, oh, you didn't do this, or you didn't say this, or this is wrong, or this isn't the way it happened. But I understand that they had to make tough choices as far as like what to even include in the movie. Because if you go down too much of a rabbit hole of like, oh, you didn't do this about their career, or this about their career, or this about their career, well, then, you know, the movie's gonna be four and a half hours long. So... And, you know, and the movie isn't, a, you know, isn't really about the individual matches, so, so to speak. Obviously, there's important ones that kind of dictate how the story goes, but it's more about the overall general consensus of trying to show how close they were and then how tough that is. Go through that. And especially this idea that you feel like it's predetermined, like, you know, that idea that Kevin, you know, felt his family was cursed from the time he was like a little kid. So living you know growing up with that but there's a reason why for a little while they were so popular and why everything worked because it was this great story of promise and you know a couple of weeks ago we'd released the christmas star wars 1982 which is you know really fun time to go look at world-class championship wrestling get in those early 80s late 70s and there's there's a lot of great stuff in there and it's before people that shouldn't be in the ring are in the ring and it's when the people that want to be in the ring are in the ring and and there's a lot of fans really enjoyed their show they put on put on great matches and exciting TV and, you know, even had like, I love the, even they threw in a little comment about, oh, you see the new, when Carrie comes back into the movie, when he comes home from college and, uh, you know, they say, oh, have you seen the new camera angles? I love, you know, the little reference like that, kind of the, the, a bit of that idea that at one point they had this sort of premiere broadcast situation going on as far as like how their wrestling was being filmed was even above, you know, what McMahon had going on in New York at that time. So they had that little brief window of moment where they were like, could have been them. They certainly had a golden era. And let's hope that uh, this will spark some more movies about wrestling because we think uh, at one point I was like, 
oh, wouldn't it be cool if they made a real movie, you know, and a, a real Avengers movie, not like a bunch of some guy with an umbrella and a bowler hat from <laughs> Britain. But I mean, lady in a cat suit, that's okay. You know, but uh, I remember the Avengers TV show right, yes. as, as a kid and I'm yeah. like, oh my God, the Avengers. But, uh, you know, it, it was quickly, my hopes were dashed when I saw <laughs> the Avengers on TV. We're not the Avengers. But then they made this really great Avengers movie. Uh, I liked it, but I think we were in the era where I'm all superheroed out. I, I'm done with comic book movies. <laughs> Maybe we could have some more wrestler movies, but I, it would be good to have movies that weren't quite necessarily tragic, sad. Yeah, you know, I think we. This is a tragedy that it, it not just it's it's. I can't think of any other family in sports or even entertainment any other celebrity family maybe the kennedys you know (laughs) you know where you've got such a you know tragic family history so i would be happy to see well you know what if they how do you make a happy movie about like the murder bruiser brody i guess you're not going to make a good film about that but you know where I'm not sure where they're going to find the feel-good wrestling stories because, you know, there's such a dark side to it. That would be nice. I'm going to have to think about what happy story a good 1980s wrestling movie would tell. That's right. Yeah, (laughs) it's a... It's unfortunate, but yeah, the tragedy seems to come in, come in hand in hand with professional wrestling. It was a t- tough lifestyle for those guys traveling all around the world and, and wrestling so often and, and doing so much damage themselves. And Yeah, you know, I wouldn't have minded if they had put a Rocky moment in this film. I mean, well, like, I they, mean they really, they really went... underplayed, like, Kerry winning, beating Flair. You know, that was... For the... example. I mean, you well, know. the glaring, obvious, yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe it's because, like, Fritz wants it so bad and his kids all want to make his their dad happy. And so the thing that, you know, he gets what he wants. Yeah. He does finally get that world belt. But, yeah, they're watching it in a very remote, distant way where you feel no joy when Kerry wins the belt. I mean, that was another strange choice. I mean, they they put on a show for tens yeah. of thousands of people and it was the crowning moment of the Von Erich family dynasty. Yep. Kerry winning the belt at the David Memorial, yeah, you know, cha- parade of champions. That's right. And so they, tur- you know, that moment, you almost wish the movie could have been that and end right there. Right. Yeah. And there's your happy ending. You know, we lost David, but Kerry wins the gold, the title belt. Alas, there's a tomorrow. Yeah, there's too many other stories in that uh, in their family to tell. The, I, but I that moment Freddie's... of joy was skipped over. Come on. We have yeah. so much sadness. Give us that joy because yeah. that was pure joy for those people on that night. night. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, they, um, I, you know, for me, and again, going back to our access issues in Winnipeg, we didn't have world-class championship wrestling on our TV. I did get it through a clip show, you know, 88, 89, sort of, you know, well after the fact. So my only thing was, of course, the magazines, but the rental of Parade of Champions. Like, I can't say that I were, that there was options to rent very much videotapes with world-class championship wrestling on it in Winnipeg, but that was the one. Like, I do remember renting that and having that in my collection of, like, that that day. Now, of course, I didn't know a lot of the wrestlers very well because there were names on the top 10 list of that that federation, but I'm not seeing much of their stuff, so yeah, other than the articles in the magazine, but it was certainly... I knew who Flair was, and I knew it was a big deal, and I knew that Kerry Von Erich looked like some superhero, <laughs> chiseled out of granite, and to, to me, he seemed like he was this big star, you know, for sure, through the... You know, magazines really hyped him up. They were definitely always being pumped up as a big part of wrestling and how important it was. And that is 
a big, you know, I think it was, I'd have to look it up if it was, you know, 35 or 45,000, whatever it is. It's like, it's a massive stadium show. And that's just a really impressive thing, you know, for a company to be able to put that many people together and the timing of it. And yeah, it's too bad it didn't, wasn't able to last longer than it did for them. Yeah. And uh, they also made it seem like Kevin couldn't talk at all, couldn't cut a promo and was just like not worthy in that sense, you know, like, yeah, it, yeah, maybe, and I, maybe I, a little overdone on that side. Yeah. Cause I thought that from what I've seen, Dave is, you know, he's, uh, oh, he's not brilliant on the mic, you know? Yeah. I mean, we, again, you're going basically through one show. I think if yeah. maybe, maybe if you watch 15 of his shows, maybe you'd so. find some, That's fair. some, some, some promo that he got fired up and actually right. cut something a little bit closer to what his dad could do. Cause that was the big thing. They sort of relied on their dad to be the talker. Because they didn't really have that in them, you know, like for mm. whatever reason, people are born with certain things. So I think the one thing that I did, as much as I avoided stuff, the one thing I did come across online was I don't think there was a huge amount of support or fandom for the portrayal of Ric Flair. I see. Well, I didn't hate him, but I didn't love this guy. It seemed intentional that he sort of avoided really doing Ric Flair. Like it didn't feel like he was trying to be Ric Flair. Mm. Like Ric Flair is one of the most probably like imitated people in the world. Like we all know 50 people that can do a Ric Flair. Like he, he couldn't even do the woo, this guy. Like, I, no, I don't know. Yeah, his woo. That's right. He did. A, it, I, yeah. The way we, he talked we and he, it just, yeah, I don't know. I don't, that's I didn't, true. We didn't, didn't get a good signature. Woo. Woo. No, no, we no, did It was not. like one attempted it. It was a weird kind of bark shout. That, yeah. Not a smooth. No. Yeah. Okay. And I, I, just, I sort of just accepted it early on. As soon as I saw this guy, I kind of knew it coming in. I was expecting not to be impressed with his presentation, let's call it. And then I sort of just sort of decided that like, I think they just intentionally sort of try instead of, instead of trying to put up somebody who was like a, could do a perfect imitation, just put up something, just like a general representation. Yeah. Not the best part of the, uh, of the movie. Maybe that has something to do with why they didn't give us the pop of Kerry winning the belt and uh, giving Fritz his crowning moment where only David has passed, yeah. except for, of course, Jack. It was kind of a nice scene. The, you know, I'm not particularly religious, but if you are and you believe that uh, they're in the afterlife, then it's, you know, uh, a, a touching scene in the afterlife where Kerry does get to go and... Be with his brothers. Yeah, that was... Uh, Nicely done and, and uh, difficult to make a film with so much heartbreak, but I think that they did a, as good a job as they could, really, aside from the, these. Like, uh, yeah, I think Flair wasn't so great and necessarily, and we could have had more of these sports joy. They could have, right, you yeah. know, they could have fed us a couple of, throw us a couple of pops, give us a little bit of happiness. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. Still a fan to the level where you're listening to our podcast, you're probably going to want to watch this movie. So <laughs> it's, it won't be easy, but it's uh, part of life to bear witness to people's journey. I'm glad I saw it. Man, you probably should do. Yeah. Overall, good impression. It was tough. It was tough to live up to, you know, something that, that material is so deep, you know, it's so heavy. It's such a heavy material. So I think they did a good job with it. All right. I think uh, we're going to wrap things up nice and early here. Uh, short review. Uh, but we do want to talk a little bit about things happening at Patreon. So we recently, finally, after much delays, the Paul Mr. Wonderful clothesline heard around the world. It's finally available for you on that platform. And yeah, we just started, I got everything caught up on there, all the shows and the bonus content. There's a few more bonus shows to get uploaded here in the new year. 
and we're going to be getting back to releasing our next release is going to be a setup show for the Saturday Night's main event number 11, which is a May 2nd show. But we had found such great material that we decided to make that first setup show is almost exclusively a tag team tournament. And so that's going to be a lot of fun. We've uh, recorded some of that already. We've got a little bit more recording to do. We'll get that out as soon as we can. So we hope that you had a lot of fun, whatever you might have been doing with family and friends uh, this last little while and coming up and do whatever you're doing on New Year's Eve. Keep it safe. And yeah, join us in the new year for the Legendary Wrestling Obsession podcast, who now has a, a Facebook page, a proper one, because I've just been using, you know, an account before to do some stuff. But uh, yeah, just go to Facebook, look up Legendary Wrestling Obsession, follow us on there. That would help us move our show around better and get the uh, info to you as soon as it comes out. Well said. Uh, actually, I, I don't have anything further to add. I just like the sound of my own voice. So <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Okay, that's going to wrap us up. We'll see you next time. Back to the WWF. Take care.